Friends, family, welcome to a new podcast. Welcome. My name is Mark Birkin, and I'll be your host on this podcast. And I'll name this podcast Living Disciple, which kind of follows the ministry we carry on overseas. Uh, we concentrate on spiritual formation. Uh, this podcast is going to mainly concentrate on hearing the Word of God in its broad sense, in a way, meaning that there's so much theology built into it, into this just phrase, hearing from God, of hearing from Holy Spirit. Now we're going to be touching on the subject of Holy Spirit as well, because how else do you hear from God if it's not from the Holy Spirit, right? I myself uh, was born into an evangelical family, but I've transitioned from that to more of actually having a communion with God through Holy Spirit. That is, I have a lot of experience with it. But with that also, I have lots of friends who have probably more experience than me. My background is more, more on a theology side of things, meaning I, I'm, I'm able to create a good, good framework for you guys to show you theologically where a lot of these things fall in and, you know, uh, is this theologically correct. Uh, so that's where I come from. And I'll be inviting a lot of my friends who have a lot more experience. And when I hear them, I'm just, I'm, I'm just scratching my head. I'm like, okay, how does this work again? You know, <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a pretty fun, pretty fun podcast, I believe. Uh, so I'm going to start first with just sort of creating a framework for the Holy Spirit, meaning where do we start? Like before you can even start speaking to the Holy Spirit, a lot of evangelicals, they are just plain old scared. Like, what am I, talking to a wind? It's, it's a little weird, you know. I'm going to be standing on, on a hill and just talking to the wind and hearing the voice of God. It, they sort of accept that, but practically speaking, it's ridiculous, okay? So until, in a way, people hear a theological or, or a good framework of common sense, I'm going to use this word. It's, I, love, I love this word, common sense. Then people start to say, hmm, Maybe, maybe there's something to this. Maybe let me try it. And so that's where I'm coming from. So let me give you a little framework. Where does the Holy Spirit fall in and why, why there is such a, why there should be such a heavy emphasis on this, which a lot of people do not put an emphasis on this, which I myself do put a, a heavy, heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, my friends, I beg you to really research this. Okay, so stay tuned if you want to hear some fun stuff about the Holy Spirit and the subject of hearing from God himself. I'm going to be using a passage by Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 from verse 12 all the way to verse 20. This is very heavy, heavy theologically. Anyway, let's start. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Let me start reading and I'll pause between verses just to give just, just a, bit of a, a bit of commentary, just... Just my opinion in a way. So, let's start. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So death entered through one man. I mean, immediately the question should arise saying, well, that's not fair. You know, we, we live in an individual, individualistic world, meaning I am guilty according to my sins, not according to some other man's sin. Okay, let's move on. To be sure, sin was 
in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Huh. So then they weren't judged, but they died, right? Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, which is what I said. Like, why, why, why are they dying if they're not guilty? Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is a pattern of, of the one to come. Like, innocent people died. We could even say babies died. Why did they die if they were not guilty? Interesting. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. But if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Wow. So this is kind of introducing the solution. So there's, you know, one man. You've got to really think about the one man. We'll, we'll talk about that. And then there's this something new. How much more? Like he's saying, how much more? So the grace, something is happening here. And I did read a, a lot of commentaries on this verse. And a lot of them have a lot to say about it. Some point to things that we are given something even more than Adam is. Meaning our status in a way is a lot higher than that of Adam in, in his status, in his beginning. That is. So yeah. Let's move on. Let's kind of finish this. So verse 18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation to all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as, the, as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You got to wrestle with that. It's like, I don't understand this. So it, 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 pin, it, it pins things on single people, right? And I know like, a, like, a, like one man can represent humanity, like Adam, a lot of theologians and I sort of agree with him. But when you read this, it's like, wow, it's a little more than that. So like, a, like United States, we have a representative, right? He represents as a community or, or a state, whatever it is, uh, he represents us, and whatever he does, it affects all of us, you know. But you, you take that sense and put it into human nature in a way. Adam's nature represented all of our natures. His nature is the same as all of us, right? And in that sense, if he is guilty, we are all guilty. But then you got to sort of say, oh, but, but how do you, like, how do you put that in a court, court of law? Like, you can't just make everybody guilty. You, you see the things we got to wrestle with. So there's some difficult things, and I don't know if we need to really get into the, the depth of it to really comprehend 
the idea of the Holy Spirit of what's really happening here. We just got to take it at face value and say, okay, we get it. We get it. Um, so let's finish the passage. Verse 20. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're talking about grace here. So grace is the solution. So ultimately we see, I'm going to say this, the crown of sin, the crown, like the ultimate triumph of, of sin is death. All right. Let's put aside the fact that the death is the crown of disobedience, even of one act and grace the crown of grace is righteousness, meaning somehow grace is going to make you a fully righteous person because scripture does speak about things like that we're sanctified, we're glorified, we receive every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ, right? That's like our identity, it gives us this identity, but how? This passage sort of gives us this framework. So let's, let, let me see if I can uh, draw you a framework what's happening here and i kind of drew you can draw in my mind in your mind or you can uh, draw it in a piece of paper and it's sort of like a timeline going from god to holy spirit in a way so i have god then below that i have adam then below that i have moses after moses i see jesus and after jesus i see holy spirit meaning these are the the markers on my time frame for me to talk about this is because these are the only ones that apostle paul uses in this passage so that's all i'm going to use obviously there's a lot of things that are missing here so let's talk so the first one is god from god to adam what happens between god to adam so we know that god is one somehow he is a single god he's a single entity uh sometimes we use substance you know uh we have to sometimes use different words to start to differentiate certain, even certain religions, you know. He's one substance. Now, we also know that he is a trinity. We, this is a, a later development in understanding of, from Christian theology, that God is triune. Now, I'm not going to get into it's three persons in one and all, and all that stuff. I'm going to try to create your framework to really create something that you understand. The idea, the concept, the philosophical idea of Trinity, what is it based on? And I think it's based on words like family, words like society, words like community. It's a communion of some sort. And those things have to exist because a God who doesn't have those concepts within him, like the idea of moral values or, or even love itself, like when you think about what is love, love is giving yourself up for someone else. Like that concept would just not exist in the God, but we know those concepts are real in our own reality. You cannot say those things aren't real. Those things are real. Like, I love someone. And what does it mean that I love them other than we act? Like, man, I'm going to give you something. I want to buy you something. I want to show you. I want to create something for you. You're giving yourself up for someone else. Where did that come from? You're telling me that came from a singularity of a personhood? Like, if you put a single person out there and you say, do you know what unity is? That doesn't exist. It just, it's not there. 
you know, it, it's baseless if that's the starting point. So the starting point is some sort of a triune God, and that's a biblical concept. It's not something else because if, if you want to get into philosophy, it's more of a plurality. There has to be some type of a plurality in God himself for love to exist, for society to exist, for communion to exist, for community to exist. That is, So I see God is a, is a community, or society. That's where we start. That's, that's the starting point. We know God created all things is the next point that I would like to make. And with that, also, we know that he created Adam and Eve. And the one thing we know, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. And we have to say, as soon as we say he created them in his image, we immediately have to put Trinity into it. Meaning, not three in one, but the communion, the sense of it, the sense of wanting to be within a community. And that also includes God himself. We want to be with God. So Adam and Eve were created to be with God. That was inherent. It was innate to their nature. They need to be because that's what God made them to be. They are in his image. Without that, it does not work. And so when we start from Adam to Moses, what happened? And so this is sort of, I'm drawing you a picture very quickly. We see an act of disobedience. God told him, do not eat from the tree of good and evil. Our knowledge of good and evil. Immediately, we try to create a framework of morality here, right? And this gets pretty confusing pretty fast if you apply, if you look through this lens or a filter of morality, Adam and Eve were innocent or they did not know what morals were and they bit an apple of truth, I would say, of good and evil. Suddenly their eyes were open and they understood what moral fabric is. And then they were guilty. If you really think about it, does that really even make sense? Like, if they didn't know what good and evil was, how can they be guilty in the first place of it? They literally gained something. You cannot blame them for gaining something, meaning a, a knowledge of good and evil. Now they've gained the knowledge of good and evil. So you have to give a benefit of a doubt to the author of this. He was a stupid man. And then ultimately, we say this came from God, right? We have to give a benefit of a doubt. It's not that, that they wrote something dumb. <clears throat> it's the fact that we're trying to make it dumb. What they were speaking about here is probably something deeper. And in my sense is it deals with a deeper subject at hand, which is the communion of things. It deals with the image of man himself. When they disobeyed, they didn't disobey the moral code, which also ultimately is, is in there. But that wasn't the question. The question that the serpent gave them is that you're going to become like gods, meaning that you're going to create your own communion or community or society apart from God. That was what was done is they walked away from God. And that's what is represented here in the beginning passages of the Bible is they walked away from God. And God 
basically said, you walk away from a communion, which is God's order, right? This is God's kingdom. This is God's society. You want to say, we'll say Trinity. That's God. It belongs to him. It's his will there. And we walk away from it because he invites us into it. He creates us to be in his image. He creates us to be with him. And we walk away from that, meaning this order is created. And we're talking about eternal things. We're not talking about temporal. As soon as you walk away, that means self-annihilation. It's suicide. Ultimately, if you talk about the eternal picture of things, it means death. And he says, if you walk away from my order, from my society, from my communion, that means death. It doesn't matter what sort of act it is. It's not just an, an act of disobedience. It's an act of walking away from God. And that's what happened here for unbelieving. Death entered, meaning that gave death a door to enter into human nature and, and this is this this one I do wrestle with and be like, okay, so somehow is pinned to the human physical world, the realm, I'm going to say, and all of it was condemned in a way. Got to wrestle with that one a little bit. But nonetheless, we see it did enter. And death did, even today, babies are dying who are innocent of any moral code. They're still dying. From that day on till now, they're dying. And then came like a time of ignorance from Adam to Moses. There was this time of ignorance. And uh, this is in Romans. Apostle Paul's writing about this. But if you go into Romans chapter 2, it's not like he says they were ignorant of what good and evil was. I'm talking about moral fabric itself. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't murder, things like that. And it's like time of ignorance as, as if... What, they didn't understand what good and evil was? Like in my mind, I understand they had a sense of good and evil. Because if they were created in God's image, and God has an understanding of good, what good and evil is, it's the same thing for us. But it was in ignorance. Imagine yourself in the classroom, and, you know, first you kind of try to tell people, the kids, the students, say, hey, be good. And that's sort of what you kind of go from. And then they start acting out. And then you finally say, okay, that's it. I had enough, you know. No talking in my classroom when I'm teaching. And somebody starts talking, right? So that time of ignorance was sort of like between I set my foot down, it was a time of ignorance. Like, does teacher want us to talk or not want us to talk? It's like that gray area uh, in a way. It's like, well, did he really say that or does he really want that? That's where we sort of say... Uh, our own self-righteousness starts to question things. And that's like uh, ignorance. And, and me as a teacher in a classroom, I'm not going to judge him until I set the rule, set the law. So that's how I see the time of ignorance. It's not that they don't know what good and evil is. It's more like I haven't dictated certain things. Because when you think about Adam, right, and the act of eating from a tree, just act of eating from a tree. When you eat a piece of fruit, there is no moral code behind that. Unless somebody tells me, don't eat that fruit. Then suddenly there's this act of, of a, a duty, a moral, some, some, some sort of a moral duty is attached to that. But the act of eating something, it doesn't have any moral code to it. Killing someone, raping someone, it does have it. The act of it, or a line, or cheating. We're going to use lesser, le, le, lesser evils here, like 
kids would steal or they would cheat things and like they know it's wrong you shouldn't be cheating you know taking advantage of someone you shouldn't be doing that so that that's like a fabric and you know within you it's inherent to your sense like yeah i did that wrong i shouldn't have done that but there's a difference between washing dishes you know i'm, I'm telling my kids to wash dishes on wednesday and if you don't you're going to be punished suddenly there's boom some moral code behind it. And so that's what God kind of sort of did with Adam. He's like, do not eat from the tree. That was the law. That was the order of things. I mean, that was his will. God said, this is my will. Let it be done. Anyway, so that's sort of Adam. I think I talked about that enough. And then we see when Moses began, there's something new being introduced over here. And God, this is speaking about the Father. From God to Moses, I don't know if we see too much of Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't exist there. What I am trying to say, the focus here is really on uh, the Father. The covenants, you know, between Adam and speaking to Adam. And now even to Moses, we still see that it's as if God in, it, in the center here is the Father giving commandments to Moses. And he, the Father beginning... A community, a country, a nation is being made with laws. So laws have been given here. And you can even say, we, we skipped Abraham here. He begins with family first. The family grows into a, a tribe. And then the tribe grows into a nation. So that's what we have here. Now we have laws. And God gives us laws. And these laws are a mix of things. A mix of fair, uh, moral fabric and a mix of just straight out moral duties, meaning... Don't do anything on the Sabbath day. Like, think about it. It's like Sabbath day, uh, a, 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 a law that says how you will be punished if you don't rest. Wow. Nonetheless, it's a law. It's God's will. So God creates these things. He creates his nation. These, this is a theocratic nation. It's not led by a king. It's not led by a democratic society a representative. It's run by God. It's a theocratic, not democratic. So it, this is God's kingdom. This is God beginning something new here. And God has created a kingdom called Israel. And this is what we have. We, we, we see it starts with judges. At first, there was not even a judge. judge. God has to raise a judge once Israel walks away. Uh, it was just elders at that point. Then judges came in. Then prophets walk in to lead people back to God, to God's communion. So if right from the beginning, we see people are walking away from the communion. Nonetheless, God continues because this is all about revelation. God revealing something to us. Uh, so it's time of the law. And this law, as we read in the passage, as soon as the law was given, the trespass increased. Sin increased. Because more things were added. God's will was, was more known at this point. So it's, we have a kingdom now, Moses. So Moses to Jesus. Now we go to Jesus and what do we see? Uh, Jesus is a very interesting character. So ultimately, Jesus was not in the picture here. Moses was, you have to dig for it, meaning it's all in the prophecies. Through prophets, they spoke of Jesus, but we couldn't quite understand what it's all about. But Jesus was in the picture. Now, suddenly, Jesus is entering the picture. He was the Word of God in John 1.1. 1, 1. It speaks about that. And this, this Word of God 
becomes incarnate, becomes a man. He takes on flesh. Very interesting. Uh, we theologians really struggle with this one, like how, how is this possible? Uh, we have a lot of theology around it, but ultimately we struggle with it. Just plain and simple, we struggle with the idea of what, what, how is it possible for God to be a man, right? I'm going to give you a little bit of logic uh, over here, and that's basically... Uh, you have to kind of pay attention to the language. Uh, we are animals, but we're not just animals. We're not just mere animals, but we're humans, meaning we're something more. So as soon as Jesus or Word of God took on a physical body, he's not just a human. He's more than a human. He's also divine. He's also a God. So you can't just say, well, how can he be a man and God at the same time? It, it's not about being God and being a man or somehow separately. It's qualifying are you qualified to be a man? Uh, so in a sense, like as soon as you have a physical body, you are qualified to be a man. Because what is a humanity if not a spirit with a physical body? So as soon as you have that, you can say Jesus was a man. Uh, just to give you that. But, you know, nonetheless, what about these attributes? You know, omnipresence and all-powerful and uh, what about his strength and power and his weakness and temptation and all those things that, that we as men face and Jesus himself also faced, how do we deal with that? Nonetheless, that's a separate thing. It's there. So Jesus was a human, which is super interesting. You got to wrestle with that. Uh, he preached. He preached, the kingdom is at hand. This is not something old he was not preaching, hey, there is heaven. Heaven, people knew about that. They understood that. They're going to die. And obviously there was a few sects over there, uh, sects of uh, religious order that did believe it. Some didn't believe it. We're not going to talk about that. The fact that in general people believed there is heaven, but Jesus wasn't speaking about heaven. He was speaking about a kingdom is at hand. So we immediately see something new is being introduced. And it, it wasn't like he was preaching it's far away, like after you die, you're going to go somewhere. He's saying it's at hand. It's right here. It's as close as me and you. I can just touch you and you can have it. And then he starts speaking about what is heaven, this kingdom of not heaven. That kingdom looks like, and that kingdom looked unattainable to us. Because when he says, when you look at a woman and lust, you commit adultery. If you're angry at your brother, you're basically a murderer, right? That your righteousness has to be beyond, beyond the Pharisees. And Pharisees were like devoted to righteousness. They were doing the law more than anybody else. You can even argue the fact that they were more righteous according to the Mosaic law, that they weren't righteous. They were righteous. They were way more righteous than any, any sailor out there. But he says, your righteousness has to be more than that. So interesting. And so he, he, he gives him, like, okay, so the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but you can't attain it. Or we, we realize, humanity realizes, we, we, we can't attain this. This is insane. What are, you, what are you crazy? Like, I want that, but how do we do this? Why did Jesus have to come? I'm going to kind of trail back over here. Why did he have to come in the first place? Well, Many philosophers and theologians back in the day, it's more theologians, now it's philosophers. They say, that which you cannot assume, you cannot save, right? What does that mean? Okay, draw you a little picture over here. If I painted 
a picture of Mona Lisa and it's mine. I, I'm the one who did it. I own it, right? And people are like, whoa, dude, that, that's awesome. And I'm gonna one day get up and say, you know what? I hate that picture. You know, I hate it. I wanna burn it. It gives me nightmares. And people are like, what? You can't destroy it. Oh, yes, I can. It's mine. I own it. And I have every right to destroy it. But if somebody comes and offers me some money for that, and so if, if I go through with that transaction, that means they own it now. And I can't just go and destroy it just because I created it. In a similar fashion, uh, this is what we came to, is that Jesus or God himself had to take on ownership of humanity. He took on flesh. Now he owns it. It can't just be destroyed according to moral fabric of things or whatever the, whatever the code is out there. can't just be destroyed anymore. He owns it. He's got the keys to it. He paid for it. And so this is where we see he pays for humanity to live on ultimately. So that's what Jesus does. And... This is where we see certain transition being made. So up to this point, we see God the Father being emphasized and focused on. Now we see Jesus being introduced to the point that Jesus calls us humans his friends. And to be your friend, you can't just, just be up there and call us friends. He was down here being tempted, getting tired, uh, you know, camping out in a desert in the cold weather, laughing crying together that's what creates friendship he spent time with us that gives him the right to call us you are now my friends and now as i've pointed just earlier much more revelation is left to be given you and suddenly we see this idea of holy spirit so he's preaching the kingdom of heaven he's at hand he says it's unattainable but he's the door and then we see a strange act happen right after that, right after his ascension to heaven. What follows it is the Pentecost, right? Now, we know Holy Spirit was empowering judges, the prophets, and then we see Pentecost happen. And Jesus himself says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you a teacher, a counselor, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Why is that? Or is that part of God's plan? Well, it has to be God's part's plan, but is it not a lie to only talk about Jesus and sort of ignore the Holy Spirit? Is God not trying to show humanity or, or kind of like, I want you to spend some time with the Father. I want you to spend some time with Jesus. Now I want you to spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Is it not that? Because if you start looking into the New Testament, there is more about Holy Spirit there and more things that He does than Jesus. All Jesus is is a door in the New Testament. He lived His life. We know His life. We know what He preached. He is the door. But He left and He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit now. So this is where... I sort of have such a great desire to preach about the Holy Spirit in the communion with God through the Holy Spirit now because God himself wants us to spend time with the Holy Spirit. 
he, I mean, Apostle Paul himself says, don't you know, don't you realize that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're not going to get into uh, the idea of what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning just like the Holy of Holies, the presence of God is there inside of you. I mean, even, goodness, like, if I, I can't be even that close with my mom and dad. That's how close he is to me, to you know, Holy Spirit. And if we ignore that, if we ignore the Holy Spirit, then what's the point? What's the point of Christianity? All right? Uh, I want to re re recap this a little bit. What is a spirit? Spirit is kind of like an unbodily personal power. You know, I don't want to just say will. It's unbodily personal power, right? So God is a spirit. There is a personal power there. Personal meaning, and meaning there's personhood in there. It's not just a will of some ether over there or something like that. No, there's a personality behind that. Uh, what is grace? Grace is a strength to do good. And we saw Apostle Paul speaking about grace and righteousness. And so what is righteousness? It's doing it God's way, right? Because righteousness is associated with a personality. So grace is strength to do good and righteousness is doing it God's way. And we're, as we saw, unable to do it God's way. We keep failing. What is the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is basically will of God is done. It's God's will to be done, not our will. Kingdom of the world is basically man's will to be done. And I'm thinking you're seeing the picture now. Uh, Trinity, that's God's Trinity. Right now, I shouldn't say God, God is Trinity. But that's the community. And He's inviting us into this community of Holy Trinity. When Jesus is speaking to us, right, He is inviting us into His community into the Holy Trinity. That's what He's inviting us to. So is this kingdom of God being created or does it already exist? I tend to think it's both, just like Jesus, right? He is inviting humanity into the Holy Trinity. And that's not something angels ever possessed. I don't know if they will ever possess it, but that's a privilege. If God is inviting us into the Holy Trinity, if humanity spent time with the Father, if humanity spent time with Jesus, but what about the Holy Spirit? And I'm not talking about individuals, prophets. He's talking about as a whole. Back in the day, Israel was dealing with the Father. Back in the day, everybody was dealing with Jesus. The whole community, whatever, whoever he had contact with, they were dealing with Jesus, the subject of Jesus, uh, trying to decide who he is and what he is, you know. Now we have to deal with the Holy Spirit. He is inviting us. So he's letting us know, I want you to intimately know who I am as a father. Know me as a Messiah. Now know me as the Holy Spirit. He's literally inviting us to get to know all of him so that we can follow his will. And enter into this kingdom, right? Enter into his kingdom, which is the Holy Trinity. He is inviting us into it. And there are so many passages, and I think I kind of ran this podcast for a while. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? I think I'm going to leave that for later. Because I kind of did run this podcast for quite a while. 
Uh, I will end this this way. I did want to mention uh, like the whole righteousness and grace thing here. Just to sort of finish up this passage that Apostle Paul was speaking about. So, the crown, the crown of grace, right? The crown of grace is righteousness. And so, Holy Spirit is the one who gives you this grace. We say, God, give me grace. Sometimes we think grace is covering some sin. But grace is more related to strength to overcome. And this is a gift somehow because we are, right, we are brothers of Jesus because it says he is the first of many brethren. Grace is given us and grace somehow penetrates us, penetrates us, right? And it gives us strength to overcome all the things we, in the, in the, during the Jesus' day when he was preaching about the kingdom of God, it gives us strength, right, to overcome those things or to accomplish those things, meaning the crown of grace is righteousness. So if you want to become righteous, you should only concentrate on receiving the gift of grace. It's a little bit backwards because in our churches today, we... Preach grace, but we emphasize works. You know, and we can talk about like smoking, lying, and you know, why you're doing this and that. But that's not, not quite the right way, right? We emphasize them. We say, well, you're not doing that, or you're not doing, you should concentrate on that. You should work on that. You should not work on your works. You should work on your grace and receiving grace from God. If you're not working on that, right, you're not going to achieve righteousness. You're gonna, the only thing you're going to achieve is self-righteousness. Because your self-righteousness will only get you where Pharisees got themselves. Because, you know, today we have our own laws now. You, you ever walk in a church and uh, notice that they have bylaws? <laughs> well, those are laws, my friends. Those you live under those laws in that church, in that community. That's not how grace works. And I'm not against bylaws, guys. Just so you know, I think every uh, every group should have a, a sense of laws. Uh, no, it, it's 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 for the reason of order, basically, but not principle, you know. But grace is what gives you the strength because you will never receive the crown of righteousness, right, if you don't have grace. That's kind of what I wanted to say about this. So through, through one man, Jesus Christ, grace was given, and this grace is given to you by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, guys. So without that, you can't receive grace. Or it's sort of difficult, it's sort of hidden, I don't know. I guess don't hold me to that phrase too much. <laughs> As I said, I'm not an expert. I hope you're kind of seeing the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the framework. Where does Holy Spirit come in? Because God wants us to really get to know Him. He really does. And if you're not, I, I, again, I'm going to uh, ask you, reconsider it, investigate it. 
And we'll continue with other podcasts talking about the Holy Spirit and some of the purposes because there's a lot. There's a lot of things that Holy Spirit does. If you kind of scan through your own mind, your own memory, in, through the scripture, what he does, you know. And you'll find a lot of issues. I'm going to, I'll throw you one out there, which is amongst the evangelicals, this is, I think this is a big one. They will say, you're not really, you don't really know if you're saved, if you're going to go to heaven. Do you know one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he is your seal, meaning that you should have confidence in your salvation. And if you're an evangelical out there or whomever is, and you're not sure about your salvation in God, then you're not sure. Meaning that I'm not sure if you're saved because the Holy Spirit, if Holy Spirit is not giving you that confidence, then I'm not sure about you either. <laughs> that's the work of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. It's like saying, I am not sure if I am friends with someone. Am I really his friend or not? Do you see the whole point of a communion here, uh, a community? If I'm friends with somebody, I should know I'm friends with them, you know? But if you're not sure that you're friends with the Holy Spirit, hmm, then what kind of a seal is the Holy Spirit for you? He's not. Then you need to go to Him. You need to really seek Him out and say, Hey, Holy Spirit, I want you to be my friend. I want to be friends with you. I want to get to know who you are. So, our ideas, and this is where I was born, just kind of going back all the way to the beginning. I was born into an evangelical family, and I don't know if they, they did not pay attention to that. They did not focus on the Holy Spirit too much at all, other than just, just mention the word Holy Spirit here and there, but not really in any practical sense. Uh, just maybe in prayer, but most prayers were one-way communication in that sense. Like we just, just send emails to God all the time in a way and just see and wait what happens. There was no two-way road here. In a, in, a, in a friendship, there's a two-way road. I speak, he speaks, we, commune, you know, we have a communion with each other, we, we communicate with each other. Uh, so prayer life is important. Second thing is important is identifying God's voice as well. This is, we'll, we'll continue to talk about this. Uh, this is where the charismatics, they don't really talk too much about identifying God's voice, meaning that who is really speaking to you? How do you know that's God? How do you know it's not somebody else? Some things are obvious, okay? But then the other things are not so obvious. And I'd really like to talk about that in some future podcasts. But mo mostly, mostly in my life, what I found to be wrong is my ideas, the ideas that were formed in my mind by whomever, by myself, by theology of others. And these ideas have took me in the wrong path. They took me away from the Holy Spirit. Or they've hid Holy Spirit from my life. And those ideas are very, very damaging. They're very damaging. Because people will twist, meaning they will interpret the Bible in a certain way that you don't need to speak to the Holy Spirit. You don't need to get close to Him. Those are their own ideas. They were sort of, I don't want to say preached, but they were not preached at all. That, hey, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit. You really need to, because if you don't, you are in trouble. 
all my sermons, or not my sermons, all the sermons in my life were all about salvation, that Jesus is the door, Jesus is the door, Jesus is the door, He is the way, it's all about Him, and that's it. It's not about Jesus only, guys. Go ask Jews. For them, it's all about the Father. For us Christians, it's all about Jesus. Or for the disciples, it was all about Jesus. Where's the Holy Spirit? Is He not a real thing to you? Is He not a real personality to you that you should become friends with? If one of those you ignore, right? Do you not ignore one-third of God? And if you ignore one-third of God, that means you don't accept God as a whole. Because God is one. Because you can't really truly separate Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Father. They only separate in personhood. But in its essence, what, 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 it, what He is, what God is, you cannot separate that. We, we just use language to separate it. But that's God. He's one. So my petition to you guys is, hmm, Holy Spirit, this is where He is. He's here. He wants to get to know you. Are you open to that or not? So, yeah, I think that's all from, for this podcast. I hope you liked it. I'm going to continue to do other podcasts about it. And hopefully you, you, you know, I don't know what you guys do here. You like it. Um, I'm fresh at this podcast. I'm sort of was on YouTube. Uh, oh, there you like or subscribe here. I don't know what you do. So I'll share about that later what you got to do. But, you know. Download it, share with your friends. It's going to be under Living Disciple. And that's it for now, guys. I thanks, thank you for listening. And I will talk to you guys later. God bless you. Take care.